Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted Social Distancing Style from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you from our humble abodes, as we have for the last several weeks. And Wes, hope you had a good weekend, sir. It was certainly a turn for the better with the weather up here in Northeast Wisconsin. Yeah, it was a fun weekend, Mike. I mean, I you know, we got a chance to go outside. We actually did a little bit of a, we got a swing set out there that has like one of those, maybe you had one of these when, when the kids were young, but it has like the, uh, the slide and then the little shoot for like a pirate ship that you can like shoot out water. Oh, so there like you I, go. I, yeah. I hooked that up and then it was going down into this little mini pool and my son was having a good time with that. Uh, got a chance to get on the grill a little bit, did some yard yeah. work. Uh, slowly but surely, I, the house is going to be in as good a condition it's ever been <laughs> by the time this thing's all said and done. So we, we were able to stay busy. And fortunately, for a couple days after a busy weekend last week, step away from the office a little bit, which is, again, above my garage. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for now, we are a full week removed from the 2020 NFL Draft. And I wanted to do one more show here in a little bit of a review of the draft class, but we're going to do it in uh, sort of Q&A style. And I haven't even given you this in advance because the show is truly unscripted, but I have a series of questions that I'm going to throw at you, Wes, with regards to some of your thoughts about the draft class. You can give your answer. I'll give my answer. We'll go back and forth a little bit and see how this goes. So, And some of these questions are some of the same ones we've been getting in Insider Inbox and whatnot. So the, the fans help to generate some of these. So question number one, which Packers draft pick do you feel will make the biggest impact as a rookie? I'm going to go with A.J. Dillon on this one just because, one, running backs traditionally have been a position where a guy can step in and make an impact right away. I mean, just look at what Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams did going back in 2017. Uh, certainly Eddie Lacy, Offensive Rookie of the Year in 2013. So there is that out, the outside chance. So I don't think I'm going on, on that far of a limb. But what I really like about him is that even if he's not touching the ball 200, 300 times as a rookie – situationally, I think he's going to be a really interesting weapon because as we saw last year, Matt LaFleur likes this idea of using multiple running backs on the field at the same time. And the Packers did have a fair amount of success with it last year. Now you put in a 247 pound running back into that equation. You can motion out with Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. You can do different things to create off of that. And for that reason, whether it's short yardage production or just overall finding a way to get this guy in the offense, I think A.J. Dillon, assuming, as Matt LaFleur said, he earns his spot, he earns his keep, and he earns the reps, the, the offense is laid out for this guy to make an impact in year one. I would agree with you. My answer to the question also would be A.J. Dillon, but to pick a second response, be real easy to say Josiah DeGuara because of how excited we know Matt LaFleur is to get a versatile piece like that into his offense and all the different places he can line up. But I'm going to pivot a little bit and actually go with Kamal Martin, the fifth round draft pick out of Minnesota. Now I say that as far as rookie impact, not so much because I think he's going to be lining up for, you know, 50 snaps a game next to Christian right. Kirksey. I do see him in that competition with, Ty Summers, Oren Burks, Curtis Bolton, for who's going to play the majority of those snaps next to Christian Kirksey. So he's going to have that opportunity. But I see Martin as a guy who could step in and be playing on all four of the special teams units. He could be a real impact guy on the return and the coverage. I think this yeah. is a guy that even if he doesn't necessarily find um, that role on defense right away as a rookie that it's a guy you're going to see on the field because I think he's going to be a, a potential core special teamer. 
Yeah, I made this point in Insider Inbox last week. I, I thought it was a salient one. Not necessarily it was a great genius moment by me, but just in terms of where this defense is and what they want to accomplish in 2020. The last two years, and it's mostly been just because of injuries to Oren Burks, but in that last week of training camp, or in last year's case, after the final cuts, the Packers have had to go out and get veteran help at inside linebacker. Two years ago, it was Antonio Morrison. Last year, it was B.J. Goodson. I think the hope is the Packers have enough in-house candidates this year that, okay, if something happens, whether it's Burks or whether it's Martin, Ty Summers, Curtis Bolton, you have enough there that you can go with the guys that you've been prepping for the season instead of having to make an abrupt shift and then bringing Morrison and Goodson into the offense late. That, I think, is a strength. The question is, is how much the Packers want to play traditional nickel? And that answer we're not going to get for months probably because Ibrahim Campbell's gone now. He went and signed, I believe it was with Tennessee, right? He's moved on to his next spot. You still have Raven Green there, who was the the guy that was slated to be in that hybrid role last year before his injury. And then now there'll be a new incoming of safeties that could potentially factor into that. But at the end of the day, there's a reason why the Packers drafted Oren Burks. There's a reason why now they drafted Kamal Martin. They want to be able to get their inside linebackers on the field should they earn the reps. That's going to be a really intriguing battle to watch whenever we're able to watch it. Yeah. All right. Well, question number two. A lot of talk in this Packers draft has been about what the Packers did not get. So I am going to ask you, because you and I were surprised at how this went. We did a lot of preview as to different directions we thought the Packers would go. So from your point of view, what's your biggest regret that the Packers did not accomplish with this draft? Okay, so this is where I think every Packer fan out there is going to say, well, this is where he obviously says receiver, right? I mean, that's, that's <laughs> right. the regret it seems like all Packer fans have had. But, I mean, if you go off the track record, this, the Packers just haven't put first-round capital into a receiver. And, and if they weren't going to take one in the first, second, or third rounds, I really had no issue whatsoever with them not taking and drafting that position. We've been down that road. And Mike, honestly, even if you find a nice prospect there, it's going to take time for them to develop. It's very difficult for those players to come in and just knock the doors down. Donald Driver needed three seasons before he became a factor in the Packers offense. So in that regard, I'm going to shift the focus more towards defensive line. And the reason I say that is one for 28, 27 straight years, the Packers drafted at least one defensive lineman in all of these drafts. And, and certainly they did get a prospect out of Miami that does have defensive end credentials, but is going to play edge rusher. The Packers didn't get a defensive tackle though. And I thought that was one area. It's the reason why I had them picking Ross Blacklock. I thought that was one area where they could potentially help not only deepen the defensive line room, but maybe also find a, a three tech that could take some of the snaps off of Kenny Clark. Now, Kenny's only 24. He's at the peak of his powers right now, and he's only getting better. But the Packers have been playing him about 80% snaps here the past few seasons. So I I said it. You can flash back the old unscripted episodes. I I kind of wondered whether or not they would find a defensive tackle that could help take some of the reps off of him, you know, also maybe take some reps off Dean Lowry. And while they did go out and sign Trevon Hester now, who's been in the league for three years with three different teams – they haven't really found a guy that I thought could just slide right in there with them. So all things considered uh, that that was where I thought maybe this, you know, going off the track record of the defensive line position and also, you know, potentially a need there. I thought they would have brought someone in. 
Yeah, I am totally with you 100% if I were to label my biggest regret as far as what the Packers did not address in this draft. I would not say receiver. For me, it's defensive line. I talked for several weeks leading up to it, even when we went to the combine, before we went to the combine, about how, boy, if the Packers could find the next Kenny Clark at the end of the first round, you extend Clark, then you have these two guys there in the middle of the defensive line that can be paired together you know, for several years to come here. I really thought that was something that uh, the Packers could set themselves up for the future as far as the core of that defense. Just to to give a second response to the question, I'm going to say this with a little bit of a qualifier. My regret would be that it doesn't look like the Packers drafted an offensive tackle of the future when you have David Bakhtiari going into a contract year his, his yeah. extension uh, potential re-signing is going to be very expensive. We know that, but he certainly has um, a lot of uh, a gas left in the tank, so to speak. Rick Wagner, your new signing at right tackle, he's the same age as Brian Balaga. This is not a long-term solution. I think everybody knows that. Now, the qualifier, I say, is that if John Runyon Jr., whom the Packers selected in the sixth round, if he ends up becoming that offensive tackle of the future, then I'll retract what I say. But everything we're hearing so far is that the Packers are looking at Runyon as a guard, not as a tackle. So I just think that's a, that's a position for the future down the line that, uh, that you're going to be, you're going to be looking at as a need. And with where the Packers are right now with Bakhtiari and Wagner, not having that guy necessarily in the pipeline right now, that's a little bit of a regret for me. Well, yeah, and there's going to be questions there when you get into the third day about what the upside is of some of these guys. Sometimes they come in, they don't make an impact, and they leave. Sometimes they turn into Corey Lindsley or a Rick Wagner, who was a six-round pick for the Baltimore Ravens you know, six, seven years ago. So that, that's, there's always a coin flip situation right. there. You never know right. what you're going to get. So you, I'm trying to keep the expectations modest, but I do think John Runyon Jr. was a good pickup for the Packers. And in, in a spo- little spoiler alert for a story that's coming, I had a chance to talk with both John Jr. and John Sr. last week. And it was really interesting listening to John Sr. talk about his son because he thinks he does have the flexibility still to play at tackle. If they want him at guard, he'll play at guard. But there are so many parallels between the way that John Sr. entered the league as a fourth-round pick in 1996 and what's happening now with his son as a sixth-round pick. These guys aren't just like bona fide blue chippers that everyone's just expecting to start into a step starting lineup. But there is a lot of athleticism there with John Jr. that he could potentially give you that flexibility if the Packers are patient and they're able to develop him from that perspective. This is a guy that did think he was going to be playing center. Originally, when he went to Michigan, he thought he was going to be an interior offensive lineman. But opportunity dictated him getting a spot at right tackle at the end of his sophomore year and then starting at left tackle his final two years. That's where this whole dominoes took him. So coming into the league, he's very open-minded of where he's going to play and where he could potentially fit. He just wants to get a spot on a 53, and he wants to have an opportunity to play in the National Football League. Yeah, and I'll just say this, and it's sort of uh, we're sort of covering my next question, which was going to be who's the most intriguing of the sixth-round offensive linemen to you just on the surface as we're barely getting to know these guys. And when you talk about, you know, Runyon and the whole tackle and guard thing, it's interesting to me with Jake Hansen from Oregon, you know, with his possibilities at center and at guard. And what intrigues me about him potentially moving forward is – This is a guy who started 49 college games at Oregon in the Pac-12. This is a a four-year starter from start to finish in his career. And, you know, when when you have that kind of experience playing at that high a level of college football for that long, it's just hard for me to, to see him not somehow finding his way 
um, into a, into a prominent role in this Packers offensive line at some point in the future, wherever that may be. So um, to answer the third question, as far as the sixth round offensive lineman, your answer is Runyon. My answer is Hanson. So with that, we're going to move on to my next question. And I think we'll wrap up with this one. Okay. In the Aaron Rodgers era, and obviously we don't exactly know the length of that era at this point, and we don't need to get into that discussion right now. But in the Aaron Rodgers era, which of these draft picks has to make the biggest contribution for the Packers to win another Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback? Oh, that's a good question, Michael. That's a really good question. I, I would probably lean towards saying A.J. Dillon just because mm -hmm. there are the questions there with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. They're both free agents after this season. So – you need A.J. Dillon, regardless of what happens with those contracts and how long Jones and Williams will be in Green Bay. You, you're getting Dillon to set up the future here with him under contract for the next four years. But I will say, and I'm not meaning to take probably the two most obvious answers off the board for you, but Josiah DeGuara is an interesting one because this is a shift with the offense. Uh, this is a move tight end. This is a guy that's going to play multiple positions. So if Josiah DeGuara is successful, if he turns out to be a real gem there in the third round, there is a possibility that that also is indicative of the success that they're going to have underneath Matt LaFleur and the transition that they're making with the offensive scheme. As I've said numerous times now between Insider Inbox and on this space here on Unscripted, this isn't your spread them out four receiver, five receiver offense anymore. It's a lot more internal. It's, it's more multiple. It's, it's more tight end and running back based. That's where they've devoted their resources, and that's where the Packers are looking to get production. So if Josiah DeGuara is successful, I know everyone mentions Kyle Juszczyk. I, I think that's somewhat unfair to DeGuara because Juszczyk is, is a traditional fullback that gets used in different ways. I think DeGuara is going to be more of a Swiss Army knife in that regard. And if he turns out to be a guy that can play move tight end that play H back that can split out wide he becomes a real problem for secondaries and how they want to defend not only him but the packages that he's incorporated into yeah well my initial reaction my first response to this question was off the top of my head was definitely AJ Dillon and I say that because just because after this year I don't see both Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams both coming back to the Packers on second contracts it just doesn't seem you know, financially salary cap wise, that that's going to be realistic. And so I see AJ Dillon, not only this year, but then certainly starting in 2021, having potentially an even more prominent role in the offense. But I'm going to throw another one at you just, just to paint a particular scenario for you to answer this question in a, in a, uh, a way to get people thinking just a little bit. I think the Packers best chance to get to another Super Bowl in the Aaron Rodgers era is to get the number one seed in the NFC and to have the entire path to the Super Bowl go through Lambeau Field. Yeah. That being said, okay, I think Jordan Love is going to hit a moment somewhere here in the Aaron Rodgers era where maybe Rodgers tweaks a hamstring, pulls a calf muscle again like he did, something like that that keeps him out for a week or two. And Jordan Love winning a game or two – Yeah could be the difference between the Packers being a two or three seed in the NFC and being the one seed and having that NFC championship game potentially go through Lambeau field to get the Packers to a Super Bowl. I just, I throw that out there as a scenario to say that Jordan love could definitely play a significant role in the Packers 
winning a Super Bowl, getting to another Super Bowl in the Aaron Rodgers era. So just yeah. I'll toss I'll toss that one out there. Yeah, I, I like that. I think that is a very thoughtful and you know really diplomatic way to think about it. Because here's the thing: you you go back to the Patriots over the last five years, you know whether it was Jacoby Brissett or, or Jimmy Garoppolo, both of those quarterbacks who were second, I believe, third round picks, they won meaningful games for the Patriots that did have implications for them later on in the season. And yep. then obviously both ended up turning into capital, whether it be a draft pick or, or a trade uh, like Brissett was to the, to the Colts. So it, it definitely makes sense. The thing I want to point out, because I, I know I've been one of the guys that was saying, you don't, you don't need to draft a quarterback yet. That was my narrative going into the, the draft. It's been my narrative the last few years. But now that it's done, one thing that I've, I think the Packers have done really well during the Aaron Rodgers era, if you wanted to bring in a veteran backup at the beginning of his time, I would have had no issue with it. You want to have somebody that can be there with them? No problem. Favre had Jim McMahon and Steve Bono and all these other guys that were, were with him. But now that you're at this latter half, you know, this, this back nine, as he calls it, of his career. It is good to have young talent there to develop instead of going and just paying $7 million for a backup quarterback that, A, probably isn't going to play, and, B, there's been mixed results when those guys have actually had to go in there. Yeah. You have a first-round credentialed player now in Jordan Love, and certainly he's going to need time to develop but there's also a different caliber of athlete, a different caliber of quarterback if he is summoned into a game at some point. And I think that is something that really could benefit here, the Green Bay Packers in the next four to five seasons. Yeah, and I'll just, uh, I'll just close on this when you look at that scenario that I just laid out. Now, obviously, the Packers are going the, the young, developing uh, quarterback, as you said, for the backup route. But just look at last year when the Kansas City Chiefs lost Patrick Mahomes yeah. for a couple of games. Now the Packers went to Arrowhead and knocked them off on Sunday Night Football. But the Chiefs the following week with Matt Moore at quarterback, the veteran backup was the route they decided to go. But them beating the Minnesota Vikings in that game, that propelled Kansas City to the number two seed in the AFC, which then when Baltimore as the one seed got knocked out, the AFC championship was played at Arrowhead stadium. And that win, that one win by Matt Moore was very instrumental in the Kansas city chiefs ending up winning the whole thing. I think someone in insider inbox last week pointed out how one of the common thoughts are on a 53 man roster, your backup quarterback is one of the top 30 uh, most important positions. Yeah. And there is something mm -hmm. to be said for that and being there able is. to win a game here or there, if you know, all the chips are down and you have to be able to find your way into the playoffs that's that's one benefit to this move and it's one benefit to where the Packers sit unequivocally Mike you know going back to basically when Rodgers was a rookie and in his second year this is the most depth now the most talent the Packers have because I know they're still very confident in in Tim Boyle and the development process he's been on the last two years and right. Boyle is going to push Jordan Love for that number two job this later this summer so yeah. These are the types of considerations you have to make. And I, and I, as I've said all along, I think Rogers is going to be a, a model mentor for that, having the experiences that he's worked through and based on his track record with Boyle and all these other def developmental backups that have come through green Bay over the past 15 years. All right. Well, with that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team. Lots of stories coming up, follow-up stories on the draft picks going to be appearing on Packers.com in the coming days and weeks. For Wes, I am Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. We will see you next time.